Audioversity, the voice of Reichman University. And I think a lot of veterans at some point, if not close to that, come to the point where, of what's the point? Right. What am I doing? Like, what, why? What am I going to, why do I have to deal with this mm-hmm. for the rest of my life? Um, and part of what Restart does is it says you can get back to having a full and fulfilling life. Actually, serious. Amazing conversations from Israel, all topics considered. With Aaron Porras and Hannah Rifkin. Welcome to the Actually Serious Podcast, where we cover Israel's most interesting with all topics and the incredible humans behind them considered. We're brought to you in partnership with Audioversity and No Camels, the leading site for Israel innovation news. And of course, before we get into it, remember to subscribe to the podcast on Audioversity, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, social media, and YouTube at Aaron Porus. Like, comment, and hit the notification bell as well while you're at it so you can be sure to hear about any new content we have. All right, now I am Aaron Porus. And I'm Hannah Rifkin. And today we're here to actually talk very seriously about probably my favorite thing uh, ever. Which is, of course, um, the way to improve the lives of wounded Israeli veterans with personalized innovations and solutions to their trauma. Uh, strategy and leadership educator Dr. David Leitner and Boz Hochstein, the operations and marketing manager with the organization Restart, are here with us uh, to discuss. So, Dr. Leitner, I want to start with you because as your former student, um, I was really inspired by your story. And I think it would be a great starting point to explain what Restart is about. Okay, so Restart for me was an organization that took a person who was scared of going outside into malls or into public the public sphere <clears throat> and essentially gave me the ability to play baseball with my kid and go into the mall without fear and go out and do things by creating a shield for my legs. I was wounded over 20 years ago in the army and I suffer from something called complex regional pain syndrome. It is a pain disorder, which is known as the worst pain disorder to modern medicine. And there is a huge aspect of pain from touch. So wind, rain, people accidentally knocking into me all cause pain and a great deal of anxiety. Restart, as an organization, their thing is to say, hey, you have a problem. There's nothing on the open market to resolve that issue. We are going to take up this challenge for ourselves. And it's one of the things that Restart does. And they did. And they created a shield. Took, we mean, with this shield 2.0, we tried version one. It didn't work quite so well. What was, what was wrong with version one? It looked like a cow catcher. <laughs> a cow catcher? Yeah, yeah. You know, in front of a train. Like, uh, it looked like oh. a huge, that thing. Okay, that's it a cow looked, catcher. It looked medieval. It was, it was, it was, it was serious. It was huge. Which is cool. It was awesome. Yes. Right. right. I mean, it's like, I'm going to run you over. <laughs> Get out of my way. <laughs> it was cool. Needless to say, our, our safety officer did not sign off on that. Oh, really? Is that right? <laughs> You should put spikes on the wheels, too. Uh, yeah. it. Don't get me started. It would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so this is 2.0, and 2.0, it's made out of carbon fiber. It's super light. breaks up really easily, so I can take it off my chair. Um, doesn't impact my ability to do pocket wheelies. And I have since played catch with my ball with my boy, and, and I've gone out to the mall, and I went out to a bar mitzvah, and I danced, and you know what? I wasn't afraid. If so, like, yeah, I mean, if something... If you, there's an impact in this thing, 
You're good? I mean, yeah. I've been hit by a baseball that was no, I mean uh, I'm, I'm just thinking because I mean because you were I mean, you it, mentioned earlier that that the hurts. yeah that the stimuli need not be very strong it I mean, hurts so like don't get me wrong there is an aspect of pain to it but it's it's a question of how much right right mm-hmm. there's a difference between like oh someone knocked into my chair or knocked into this thing and someone knocked into my leg there's a huge spectrum of pain there it hurts the ability to recover is much quicker the ability to um continue in the activities that I'm doing and stay and not immediately run away is significantly impacted. Um, and it, it also just overcomes that first initial anxiety of it. I can feel like I can go out because there is this shield. There is something that's c- causing people to keep their distance. You know, if you want to get close to me, well, there's just, there, you can't get that close. Right. So once someone runs into it, yeah, it hurts. Is it and is is the pain really region specific? Like above knees the waist, you're okay. Knees or? down from knees the knees down. down. Yeah, um, it's it, there's been like a little bit of tingling above the knees recently, which I'm like, nope, you're not gonna spread. No, you're not gonna spread. No, you're not mm. gonna spread because one of the best ways to try and keep it from spreading is negotiating. Touching my legs and like touching the area and be like, okay, you know, like just that contact is enough to hopefully not let the brain come to the conclusion because it's about the central nervous system. Sure. Right, it's the central nervous system has decided that the 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 pain is the natural or the norm for my legs, um, as a result of a very long story, which I don't need to tell right now unless you want me to. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you, we could get into it later, but uh, but yeah, I, mean, I think uh, so. Boaz, I mean, you you started. You're you're the operations manager, so how like tell me about what you do at Restart, really. Right, so um, first of all, I was injured in Operation Protective Edge. Um, oh, wow. I was hit by a 120 kilo explosive mortar um, wow. to my tank. Um, I almost lost my entire right arm, and the doctors in Israel um, saved almost all of it, um, and a few other minor injuries um, and PTSD, of course. And while I was in rehabilitation, basically all of the rehab center was evacuated from everyone else, and it was filled with soldiers. So the entire um, rehabilitation center was only soldiers. And basically it became like a, like a summer camp for adults, right? Because <laughs> we were all basically just immediately discharged from the army. W- worst like, camp ever is my guess, or like what? Well, you, well physically, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> most of us weren't having a great time, but we were all together. And the entire Israeli community really came in and gave us a really strong hug. And, and within that, also the um, wounded veterans community in Israel, and also a large group from like the high tech and business sectors in Israel. So people who were trying to come and, and donate their time and, and volunteer. And, you know, it started out with them taking us to, you know, bars to just like, you know, release some tension or to parties or to shows and et cetera. And eventually they started thinking about it and they said, how can we actually help these soldiers besides just have a good time? Like, you know, these guys are going to eventually in the the near future, you know, even if it's two, three, five years, that's pretty near. And in the near future, they're going to be thrown back into society after this time away from society. And and how do they reintegrate and how do we help them make that push and make that jump from... And deal with the trauma day to day. Well, the Army is doing their best to do a lot better today, especially um, in the past two years since Itzik Saidian um, burned himself in protest. Mm -hmm. And the idea was really that 
we have a certain um, life life path in Israel, right? So we finish high school, we go to the army, we finish the army, we go on a big trip, we start working, you know, in some restaurants or whatever, busting tables so that we can um, go to college. We do that or university. And then we start a career, start our families and, and continue into life. And when you're injured, you're thrown out of that path, right? Because now you're dealing for a few years with rehabilitation, however long and however that intense that means for you. But you're thrown out of that path. And now when you're ready to go back in, you're not 21, 22 anymore like, you're, like when you left, right? You're 27, 28, 25, sometimes 30 and even more. And everyone else has continued on that path. And you were dejected out. And now you're trying to get back in. You have a lot to fill up. Yeah. You have a lot to catch up to. Mm-hmm. And so what these individuals from the business sector and the high-tech sector and some of the older soldiers who were um, in rehabilitation with us came up with this idea that we need to to have a place to go after to to make that jump right to to try to catch up and so it started from a mentors program amongst peers um one-on-ones with wounded veterans um and then it grew and a few years later we did um we started maker for heroes which is um what dr david um participated in where we created a shield um today we have a whole bunch of other operations that we do we have a storytelling program the mentors program makers for heroes we have a job placement program um and we have a podcast where we talk about um, the stories of people like David and how they overcame adversity. Um, and we have a program where we talk, where we give um, talks by wounded veterans like David um, in either um, offices or large companies, um, sometimes um, schools or, or, or youth movements, but really to try to spread the word of both um, how people with disabilities um, approach the world in a career-focused space, or how do you come to the office, and what does that mean, and what do you bring with you, and and what do you have to deal with in this environment, um, and also just awareness to to the incredible stories of people like David, who, you know, he he kind of just like skipped over his story here, but he he's gone through a lot, and and you know, me as a younger disabled and wounded veteran, it's only to look up to him and 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 be proud of what my future has to hold. So like yeah, so maybe maybe now I guess he teed <laughs> okay. you up. Okay, it's fine. time to discuss a little fine. bit. <laughs> uh, no problem. And then and then yeah, and then maybe your time as a volunteer with Restart, like we can segue no problem, yeah, into that. Absolutely. Um, so story starts with me coming to Israel for the first time. I came to Israel for the first time as an 18 year old after high school. I'm not Israeli born. I had absolutely no obligation to go into the army. To be really clear, um, came here for a year and I fell in love with the place. I like I don't. It's just, it's just like you landed and it's just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I didn't want to go home. And I had made a deal with my parents that I would go home and finish four years of university. And I landed. And I, when I got back, I was like, I want to go back. And every week after that, I was on the phone with them because we didn't have WhatsApp and FaceTime and whatever. And I was like, every every single conversation ended the same way. I love you. Say, good, you know, say goodbye. Good night to my sister. Goodbye. I want to go back. And I, oh, <laughs> every single week, I like, I hammered that home every single week. 
two weeks before the end of summer camp where I was a lifeguard, my dad's like, David, you have to go home. Uh, well, you know, what happened? And he's like, oh, we bought you a ticket for, ticket for Israel. I was like, oh, I think I, I packed faster than like when I was in the army. Like, you know, on, on Thursdays, you like get to like throw all this stuff in and go, I was, no, I was faster than that. It was like, I was on the plane. I literally came to Israel with a backpack and a handbag. And I had no idea where I was going. Um, I ended up going to Bar Ilan for the summer Opon and then moved to Hebrew University for Opon. Um, I was 23 when I went into the army. And I ended up getting into Maguan, which, you wow. know, it's one of the commando units. Um, I did basic training, did jump school, and then got into advanced training. During advanced training, we were doing um, an exercise of house-to-house work. Um, and during it, um, my commander had our largest team member fall down wounded. And he was like, oh, David, sure. pick him up. Yeah. And so I ran up, you know, and I'm... I'm you know, gung-ho about to ran up, pick him up, throw him on my shoulders, and I start to run, and I put my foot wrong, and there's this loud, like, clack, on, and like I crumple. He falls on his head. <gasps> I found out afterwards he was swearing at me. I didn't even know the language. Like I didn't know enough about the language to know that he was, like, cursing me out. And my commander's yelling at me, pick him up, pick him up. They're shooting at you. They're shooting at you. Shooting. And I pick him up, get to the wall. They take off my boot, and they're like, oh, it's just a sprain. You know, don't worry about it. I don't see a doctor until, like, Friday. It was a Monday. I didn't see a doctor until Friday. He gave me a week of re- relaxation on base, which in my unit was like, run to here, do this guard duty, take this stuff to there. I was, and there was no rest. Yeah. And then I did a route march, and then I did another route march, and then we did the, the actual got onto the base. So you did like, like everything possible to exacerbate this injury. Yeah, yeah. everything. I ended up, um, I went I went to sniper school, um, and during sniper school, it might, like, got even worse, and it was just like, I can't continue with my team. And at that point, I was not walking properly. I wasn't running properly. I would take two skips on my left leg and gently put my right foot on the ground because it wouldn't hold my weight properly. And then I would do that again and again and again. Um, about I went and saw a ton of doctors. Every doctor was like, oh, you need surgery. You need surgery. And they wanted to, they wanted to make, put holes in my legs. They wanted to put metal in my legs, all kinds of stuff. And um, about three weeks before actual surgery, um, the doctor was like, David, you're going home because I don't want you need to go home now. Um, and I was actually on the way to, I was on, I was actually on my way to do a mission. Like they were like, called me up to do some work and they were like, he was like, no, I'm not signing. Go home. Um, he also didn't sign on the papers to let me be an officer, which I wanted to strangle him for. (laughs) I was so upset. Um, um, anyway, got home, home for me was a kibbutz and like I had a, have a wonderful kibbutz family that adopted me, but I had my own room and like, I was alone. I didn't want to go home. It was, who wants to go be alone for three weeks before they had surgery? During the surgery, um, I'm awake, and they just numbed from the knee down and um, on my right leg, and all of a sudden, I started to feel like this this electrical pulse, like, and all of a sudden, he touches something, and there's just like, oh, oh my God, that hurts, and, I, and he, he uh, he's like, what, you can feel that? And he does it again, the doctor does it again, and I'm like, oh, oh, I and uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so he, they're like, okay, we're gonna give you another shot. And then he waits like five minutes. And he's like, can you feel? I can still feel that. Another shot, another shot. They did like five shots before they continue. And even when they continue, I can sort of still feel it's going. At that point, put you out, man. Yeah, what? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Seriously. They were like, we're gonna, the, like, we're gonna put you sort of under. But under was like, it wasn't under. I could feel everything that was going. On. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, I get out of the surgery. There's a cast for my toes to my knee i'm supposed to be in a cast for three months my dad comes about a month and a half afterwards to visit they weren't there for the surgery my parents didn't come for the surgery um 
month and a half later, he my dad comes to visit. He looks at my toes and he's like, Dave, we're going to see the doctor now. <laughs> uh, we went to see the doctor. They took the cast off. As they're taking the cast off, it hurts. Like it doesn't doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. And they, take, and they put in the cast on again. Another month and a half. They go to take the cast off. And, you know, it's supposed to, like, tickle. Or, like, maybe, like, whatever, when they, like, do the whole... Like when your leg's asleep, sort yeah, of, maybe? Sort of like, yeah, sort like, yeah. Like, so they start pulling off the cast. And it feels like it's it's burning. There's just burning pain. And they're like, we just have to take the staples out. It'll take just a minute. Just lie down on the, on the bed. I lie down on the bed. The nurse comes up to me with these tweezers, and the moment she touches my ankle to pull out the first stitch, I almost pass out. I feel like, what? And I threw up all over the floor. Wow. Um, doctor jumps up. He's, he's like, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm screaming in pain. And the nurse is like, I don't know. I just, I just touched him. And he's like, take him out. Take him out. And so she's like sitting there. And it literally feels like someone's poking my leg, my ankle, with these, this like burning something or other, like a needle in my leg. And I, I'm, I'm screeching the whole time. I finally calmed down. What was your, what was your dad's expression? My dad wasn't there for this. Thing. Oh, like my I dad, thought because he took you. No, no, no. My dad took, took me there. for the first time, and then a month and a half after that, oh, okay, okay, they okay. took this out. I was alone. Oh, I had goodness. nobody. Like nobody came with me. I went on the bus. Oh God! To get to like, I was down on Kibbutz Sad, which is down in the south, and I had to go to Mayor Hospital, which is in Kfar which is where they did the surgery, and I went by bus. <gasps> Um, on my own. Which I, people listening, if you're in America, that is not a fun trip. That's, Let me just tell you. <laughs> Let me just tell you. Right. On a bus. Right. Especially yeah. in a cast. Yeah. <laughs> with, with CRPS. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Like, 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 he's suffering the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was already painful in the cast, and now they're taking this cast off, and I had to get home, and I had to go home with my leg burnt. Like my leg felt like it was burning. Um, I can't believe they just sent you home like that. They though. sent me straight home. They're like, see, that's the part I believe the most. <laughs> I mean, being in Israel, I love this country, <laughs> but I believe out. it. Go home. <laughs> right. What's yeah. wrong with you? They're like, go home. You're going to start physical therapy. And I, I got, um, you know, uh, hydrotherapy and physical therapy. And I was working with the physical therapist every day. I was at place every single day doing hydrotherapy and physical therapy. Um, and they looked at me and they were like, there is something really wrong. And the doctor had already set up an appointment for three months after, so there would be three months of, rec- of recovery period, and then he wanted to see my improvement. I got there to the doctor, and he looked at me and goes, this is not improvement, this is worse. And then he tried to touch my leg, and I wouldn't let him. Like, my, my leg, the moment he started getting close to touch it, my leg jumped away on its own. I, I no part in it. So you have movement I can your move legs, my legs, but yeah, it hurts can, to do it. It hurts to move them, and it hurts to touch them. And it, there's just an over... Okay, so there's, like, different levels of layers of pain. There's, like, the right. ever, there's pain all the time, which is just there. Like, right now, my legs hurt tremendously. And if something touches them, then it... And then sure. there's this whole recovery of, like, coming back down to what's normal pain levels that we're talking about. Um, and then there's the pain of the movement and all that other stuff. Um, he looks at my leg and he goes, I-, I think there's a nerve problem. I want to send you to a specialist. Okay, well, how long is that going to take? Two months. Two months to see the specialist. The specialist has me lie down on a on a bed. He says, close your eyes. I'm like, okay. Close my eyes. And all of a sudden, it feels like someone's taking a blowtorch. And it's just like... <gasps> along the side of my foot. And I open my eyes fly open. I look down at him. And he's holding a ball of cotton in his hand. And he's gently tickling the side of my leg, my foot. And he looks at me and he goes, okay. First things first. 
you have something called complex regional pain syndrome. Back then it was called reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Why they changed the name, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> and he goes, look, you got this thing. Instead of shell shock, it's PTSD. We want to yeah. make it sound better. Um, George Carlin had a whole thing on this. Yeah. Um, and uh, he goes, there are a couple things you need to know. One, it's the worst known pain disorder to modern medicine. Two, uh, we don't have a cure. There's no way to solve it. And I was looking at him like, okay, can this get, get any worse? He goes, um, yeah, it can. Um, it can spread. <laughs> Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I don't swear often. Like, And it, this was like, uh, it just came out. And he was like, basically. Um, and it was like, okay, physical therapy. And I was going from kibbutz to a hospital in Tel Aviv five times a week. And that, thank God, they were already paying for a cab. But think about going on a cab where it's like bumping around and like yeah. the cab driver doesn't know that he's not allowed to like take sharp curves and sharp turns and stuff because I'm bouncing around. Um, it quickly spread to the middle of my right shin. Um, and the doctor was getting fed up with the drive and everything. And he was like, you got to move to the center of Israel. You got to move to Tel Aviv. Yeah, this drive is, is killing. You. It's, it's literally undoing any therapy that we're doing. So I started university. I started Bar Ilan. I started a degree. I got a BA in uh, strategy and uh, national security. And um, I was doing therapy. And it slowly, slowly, slowly was spreading, spread up to my right knee. It stayed like that for about seven years. Mm -hmm. And then in 2009, uh, started having this tingling in my left leg. And I went and saw every single doctor on the face of the planet who I could. Um, literally had conference, like we were doing conference calls with people at the Mayo Clinic in, uh, wow. in America to see if it was worthwhile for me to travel. Like there were emails going back and forth and I was party to it all. And um, middle of the night, I wake up, I have literally thrown up all over my sheets. I'm sweating like crazy and I'm screaming. My wife, Hila, jumps up, what's going on? Um, and she slowly pulls the blanket off my left leg and I'm, almost passing out as she's doing it. And then she looks at my leg and it's purple and gross <gasps> and it's all blown up. And it looks literally like a balloon that's slightly deflated. I have pictures and they're really pretty. <laughs> um, and she ran, she immediately goes outside to go get the wheelchair that I had in my car, which I had used for like really far distances at that point. Like I was using a wheelchair to like get around far distances, but I was on crutches. You were on crutches during all this? Yeah, I was on crutches, um, oh, getting a wheelchair. And, how uh, many, wait, sorry to interrupt you, but how many years was this between when you were diagnosed to now? To okay, that, so to first injury happened in 2000, late 2001. Okay. Um, or, no, sorry. No. Early 2001 was the actual injury. Surgery was late 2001. First diagnosis was in early 2002. Mm -hmm. Started school 2003. Um, second, second leg spread was 2010 was when it, like happened it actually happened two months before my son was born my first son oh, wow. uh, so is I was, there any like stress connection like to in terms of the spread or I is mean, that who knows this causes a great deal of stress and when i am stressed it, it negatively flares. impacts my right. pain um and i was going through literally a new learning curve of how do i be a father right with a newborn child 
and learn how to deal with this pain in both legs and mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah. and, I, and i was and i was almost done with my phd and i was it's just like a lot of stuff going on all at once mm-hmm. um and i continued to push through i i helped create the international barilon the barilon's international uh degree programs i wasn't going to stop i wasn't going to stop what i was doing but it took a huge toll on everything i was doing i i couldn't i still can't hold down a full-time job it, this is just doesn't allow that to happen Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, at what point did you get in touch with Restart? So, um, in 2017, I started um, participating in um, something called uh, IPSC shooting. It's a, a comp- competitive shooting. Um, For people with, with your No, condition? no, oh. it's everybody. <laughs> Anyone can do it. Um, and a friend of mine there had volunteered with Restart with one of its first makers programs and he saw me and he was like oh you need to go to them and have them build you a shield and i was like okay that's great because i'd had he'd seen what happened when one of the casings had bounced off a wall and tapped my leg and my leg started to jump up and he was like okay we're getting you a shield um and i went and actually i went and the event that i arrived at i thought it was to sign up and you know maybe become one of their their challenges and it was actually when they were actually had all the challenges set and they knew who they were going to do. And I was so depressed. I was, I was certain that they were not going to take me on at all. And hmm. I, I went up to Neve at the time, who was the head of the organization at the time. And I was like, listen, I thought I was coming to sign up to be one of the people you help. You know, wh- what do I have to do to do that? And he's like, tell me your story. And I was like, I'm from Maglan. And he goes, oh, really? I was in Maglan too. <laughs> And you know what? By the way, one of the people who was supposed to be one of our challenges, he just canceled on us. Do you want to be the challenge instead? And I was like, uh, yeah. Wow. Serendipity. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. There we go. And um, that's when they made me the cow catcher. And it. <laughs> I, love, I love your expression every time you talk about this story, because I've seen it. Right. <laughs> We'd love to get a picture of that. Yeah, I think I have one, actually. I can give you no problem. Um, it worked. It, the only the fundamental problem we had was that it was it was heavy and it was hard to figure out how to get it to attach to the chair. Mm. Those were the two. What was it made of? It was made of carbon as well, oh, but okay. it was like two layered carbon, so it was thicker and it was heavier. It was bigger. Um, and then Neve calls me, and then after that, I volunteered with the program a couple of times. I would love to get into the mentoring program. For some reason, you don't call me back about that. We're gonna have to talk about that later. Oh, that's <laughs> live pressure right there. Oh, yeah. I threw him under the bus before. And just gonna do that. <laughs> We're gonna do this. Throw it back. All right, got it. Um, and um, I volunteered a couple of times now with the Makers for Heroes program, and Neve called me back, and he's like, David, Shield 2.0 we're doing this we're gonna make wow. it happen and they hooked me up with elbit and with elbit wow yeah. wow this really is, so, so this is, is not like so restart no, no, no. is not like internal only oh no 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 no, 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 no. internally we are six people um five out of those are wounded veterans both male and female right we are a 50 50 um male female company um well organization and makers for heroes is really about restart being a um, facilitator, mm-hmm. right? So we we know how to reach the wounded veterans who really need our help or can really benefit from this, and we know how to contact the companies and the right people to right. Um, 
create these specific things. So originally, like way back when, when David had the cow catcher, um, so it was a lot of random volunteers. But over the years, a lot of these volunteers went back to their companies and said, this is something that, you know, we, we really should, yeah, we should um, stand behind and, yeah. and, and we should we should become a part of this. And so all of the defense um, companies in Israel work with us, Elbit, Rafael, um, Tomer. Um, we work with Banca Poalim, their whole um, technologic, technology department. We have... I didn't even know the bank had a tech, a tech oh, department. The apps, the... That's just the base so, layer. Okay, but, hold on. Wow. So let's, let's, let's just clarify something. Some of, the, some of the wounded veterans, they don't necessarily need a physical thing as much as they need some kind of technological... I'll give you an example. We have yeah. a guy who, who will get lost, and his father will get very worried about where he is. And they needed to create a mapping system which would create fences where when he was in the fence an electronic fence with his watch, a geofence right he's in it we know where he is the moment he walks out of it he, the father and the sister and everybody gets up beep, an alarm. something's going on he's not he's he's left does it help designated. him navigate as well or he's like yeah, he, dissociative? he has uh, he has he was had a brain injury he has short-term memory like oh, wow. really like every time i meet him i have to remind him who i am um he'll forget who he is or, or what it's like wow. really all, up till up till his injury he remembers everything after his is, is a blur. Um, and so we turn to AppsFlyer. Um, so we work with AppsFlyer, we work with Wix, we work with, um, you know, we're with all the, a lot of international companies as well. Wow. Um, and so basically, like David said, they, they took his calendar and turned it into geofences based on where he should be. Wow. During his day. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the Amazing. fences like can adjust. Yeah, the fence can... is just a geofence. They're like this five, like a five kilometer radius from where he's supposed to be today. Like right now, like he, right now he should be in therapy. If he leaves the hospital, the geofence like so that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's like them. it's like yeah, they yeah. adjust where the fence is wherever every day. he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah every, uh, automatically. And if, they, and if they need to add something to it, they just add like the the space on the map, and the map will automatically set up, and they can determine how right. far out from the map point they are wow. willing to. Go. That's right. incredible. And so it, it follows him through an Apple Watch, and his father. The moment he's at a geofence, his father and the nearest caretaker will get an alert on their iPhones. And they'll be able to talk to him through the app that they built on the Apple Watch. So he'll, they would just say, hey, Shai, this wow. is your father. You know, do you know where you're going? Can you please stop and wait for, you know, for Rachel to pick you up or, or is there it is? Is there mm-hmm. any – so first of all, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, at the same time, though, it's it's he's still very dependent on the other caretakers to kind of – come to his aid or he could, if there's he can, an alert you know, help him navigate back you know if, if he just, it can help him navigate so that's what said, i mean like yeah. it, like how does it enable him independent like true independence or not not is that just I, not really I don't on the know, table anymore i don't know my assumption is you can always attach it to google maps and and let him navigate back i don't know if he's at that Right. If he's at that kind of place, it dep- it's, you have to remember it depends on where the, each each right. veteran is at. Each of sure. us has our own like issues, our own capabilities. Some of us become more independent over time, and some of us are very dependent for the rest of our lives. The fact that he's you know, he's very dependent on his family, his family. Sure, is, yeah, right? yeah. Um, and that's that's just the nature of being a disabled veteran. Like your life changes drastically. Your ability to be independent. I have caregiver who's with me almost every day, all the time. Because if something hits my leg and it's bad enough, I can't drive home. Right. Right. I, I can drive. I'm very capable of driving. But if I'm in a p- place where something could happen, 
well, yeah. how do I get home afterwards? Right. And so having somebody there who knows, so that's just sort of the nature of what happens to a lot of us. Not everyone needs it. Um, there are a lot of wounded veterans that don't have caregivers, but our lives change. And Boaz said it, you know, you think I, I was going to be an officer. I was going to be, I was determined to stay in the army forever. Somehow became a, a, a university lecturer instead. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. But you know, like uh, that, that's your life changes. Oh, wow. So what I'd like to know is, how can we get involved? How can oh, yeah. anyone listening become a volunteer? Anyone who needs help, how can they apply? So first off, I'd like to thank you for both of you and, and David for, for this opportunity. It was like, a pleasure. David was like, hey, uh, come on a podcast in, uh, in, in Reichman in, at 11 o'clock you know, on the 14th. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> you want me to come, I'll come. It's, I don't... Not like, it's not like I have wounded veterans to take care of, but sure, yeah. Right. <laughs> Seriously, no. it's tomorrow. Tomorrow they're doing the Midway uh, event. To, to, so like, yeah, yeah. Wait, like... so what happens tomorrow? What is the Midway event? All right, so tomorrow about um, 250 volunteers are going to meet up uh, along with their wounded veterans. And the... Objective tomorrow is to reach a prototype, prototype, but one like like an actual prototype. Like from here, we're going for to each build. of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every year, within six months, we build between twenty and twenty-five brand new shelf products wow. for the veterans. A lot of them with the potential to be reproduced for other veterans. And tomorrow, if we're already bringing it up tomorrow, so tomorrow um, we are reproducing um, or we reproduce fifteen. Um, um, projects, 15 um, units of a project we did last year, and they'll be going to 15 wounded veterans tomorrow. Um, wow. So this is one, you know, group of six guys, and I don't remember if they're men or women, but one group of one group of engineers who built this one small thing for one wounded veteran, and tomorrow they built it for 16 wounded veterans. And we've already been pledged um, by one of our partner companies to create another 15 in the next few months. So we'll, so that's one team that have now affected not only the lives of between um, 16 and 31 wounded veterans just in the course of two years, that's 31 families and 31 okay. um, you know families of the spouses and 31 okay. lives of the caregiver who the now kid. has to, doesn't work so hard or the, has to work in a different way or, or yeah. not as hard. And the kids who can now play ball with their dad yeah. and, and so that's what we try to so do. Let, let's just give you guys a, a sort of general, this is how a Makers for Heroes runs. People apply in advance to be a challenge. That is to say, either Restart cares about someone who has something or someone who's volunteered for Restart knows somebody. Um, and they go, go through an interview process to figure out whether or not Restart thinks that they can provide some kind of solution. If the people who make that decision say yes, <clears throat> you are then put together with a team of volunteers, whether it's from one company or a group of people who just happen to be very, very good at what they do and will work well together to be able to provide that solution. Restart puts that together, that team together. You meet for opening event. Opening event is, um, if we're going to talk strategy, that is, if we're thinking design thinking, that is very much the empathy stage of a design thinking process or a creative process where you go, I need to know everything possible about this challenge. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What do you need? Like everything possible. So they can come to an ideal type of what would be an ideal solution for that. After that, the teams will break up and they will go to work on a first iteration solution. And that process for them is setting major objectives, breaking those down into goals, understanding exactly what kind of resources. 
Restart provides some resources, financial resources, but a lot of the companies will come in and go, hey, I'll match or even double wow. resources for you. Like um, my shield, Elbit was like, you want carbon? Uh, oh, okay, we have a carbon, like we do that. You just no. have like a scrap pile. You just go ahead and use some ours. <laughs> of it's not a problem. Yeah. And like, okay. Um, so um, one of the one of the things I happen to really like about how Restart does this and how the teams do this is that they're not resource, the objectives are not resource-based and they're not based on some kind of value system or doctrine. They're very much effect-based objectives. Mm. It's what effect do we want to have? What's the maximum effect we can have? Now, what are the things we have to do to make that possible? And then they'll start looking for resources if they need it. Right. They'll start looking for, you know, the different value systems that will allow them to put that into place. They get to this halfway point, and what they're supposed to do now is they're supposed to have first-run prototype. This is a trial and error period where they met, they probably met with the the veteran over those six, you know three months. Mm-hmm. But this is the we're coming together. Everybody gets to see where everybody out uh, is at, which is really good because it's a check-in for everybody. And then they're going to break up again afterwards. And they're going to have a final run where now you've had first iteration. Now you get to go through that whole iteration again based on the learning curve you've just gone through. Now you have ideal type. Work work towards it. Okay. What do we need to do? Uh, goals. Da, da. And then you have your final event. Final event is literally everybody gets together. They do the final put together. Any little small things that have come up they need to fix or need to work on. And then we get to show it off. Uh, and by the way, tomorrow is May fifteenth. If you know, this yeah, is going to be is... out way after. But just yeah. so you know the timeline. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Are you so you're partnering with all these organizations in, in yeah. Israel and spreading these iterations to other people with similar uh, injuries, and that's like amazing. Are you also partnering with, say, like the Wounded Warriors Project, like like with with similar programs around the world? So. Right. So up until COVID, um, Makers for Heroes was a global program. We wow. worked with wounded veterans from all of the militaries that have, you know, peace and, and peace agreements with Israel. So we're talking about U.S. veterans and U.K. veterans, French veterans, Azerbaijan. Wow. Um, so really anywhere where, where you know, is the IDF and that military have, have an understanding, we're, we're willing to open up and help. Then COVID hit and kind of canceled um, all of that. And um, okay. we're now working back yeah, to, well, to bringing yeah. that up. To, so, to... what? Sorry, what were you yeah. going to say? No, we're <laughs> we're now working at hopefully in the in, in the next two two years we'll we'll bring that back. Okay, so I was just going to say, like looking towards the future, that's something that you're working to bring. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Is there any? Um, what else do you see for the future of Restart? So I, I always when I'm asked that question, I always say I hope we shut down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, so I hope I hope we don't need to help anyone. It's a backwards business model, but I love it. <laughs> oh, it's a terrible. It would be phenomenal model. if we could never ever have to have restart ever again. Right. Yeah. That's that's always the objective is to not have anyone left to help. Um, and mm. so that's that's obviously a, a, a very pink future. Um, but really, the future is um, in the next few years is really a branching out into helping more veterans across the world, and b deepening our our assistance and, and the programs that we have in Israel to really a reach all the wounded veterans that we can in Israel and be continue growing and innovating the ways that we help wounded veterans catalyze back into um, well, and I think their life trajectory. I mean, I think I think just to just to add an idea is like if 
let's say that your pink future comes true and that there's no more need for restart, which uh, I think uh, is unfortunately probably not going to happen. We will always need you and people like you. But, you know, what about expanding to people who are not veterans, just people who are, you know, injured uh, or, or disabled in some other way? Right. So um, I'm saying this cautiously. Mm. Um, we do have um, very future plans to be able to take some of these things to market and offer them to anyone in the world. Um, because a lot, most of the things that we're able to reproduce are things that are pretty universal, like what we're handing out tomorrow, May 15th, um, is um, a basically a, a crutch holder, right? So people who rely on crutches in their day-to-day yeah. are so always... Put it. Yeah, not, not even so to put that. it. You have you always have these things dangling from your arms, right? So every time you know something, they always fall and they get caught in things, and it's just a whole hassle. So we just they created a really strong, basically, it, it looks simple on the outside, but it's it's more complex. But it's just a couple of magnets that you you cross the crutches together, and you can hold both of them in one hand. They're very strong; they don't fall. They're you know there's some tech behind it, but. It frees up one hand. It's there's there's nothing. It means that if you needed to take a coffee and you can, if you can walk with one crutch for a short distance, instead of having to have this other crutch sort of dangling off of your arm while you're holding a hot cup of coffee, you take it, you attach it to the other crutch, and now you can still use your crutches, your crutch, and you carry that cup of coffee or whatever. That use your phone, scratch your head, you know, whatever. That's Um, incredible. So I think that if we were to think about it, I think part of what Restart does is by focusing on the wounded veterans, they are getting down to the real heart of disability. Like, and by doing that, yes, what they're doing is is applicable. Like my shield is applicable to someone who has osteoporosis in their legs. Mm-hmm. It's applicable to someone who has never stood up and you know has weak bone syndrome. Okay, well. You know, if you have brittle yeah. bones, my shield will help you. So right. what they're not, they're not focusing on, on every, you know, disability out there. But a lot of what we do has to do with things that will then replicate for other people and for other kinds of disability. That's number one. Um, I think that um, the other thing I wanted to say, Restart has a very interesting um, motto. It's returning the wounded veteran to the tra- on track to life. Right. So if you think about that as the motto, that's sort of where they focus on all. That's why they have a mentoring program. It's about taking someone who was on this track. You know, you were going to do you were going to do army and then you were going to do university. And then you were well, your track has you got thrown off track. We want to return you to the track, that track of life. How do we do that? We mentor you. We teach you how to do interviews. We teach you how to, you know, relieve some of that anxiety. We teach you how to understand business. We teach you how to write a CV, right? Um, and then it's from there, it's, okay, mm-hmm. well, let's help you find a job, right? We'll right. help you with job. Re- so it's it's not just physical stuff that they make. Sure. It's about taking somebody who has literally been thrown off the tracks of life and could very easily get lost and very mm-hmm. easily spend the rest of their life at home depressed. And, I mean, oh, okay, so when I first got hurt, um, and I was alone in my in my, my my room on kibbutz, and I wanted to go to the bathroom, and I, I was still on one leg, right? So I, I would hop on one leg and go to the bathroom. On my way back, I um my foot was wet. I slipped, and my right foot slammed into the ground. And I found myself on my floor looking at the ceiling, and I was like this close to it, being like, I'm done. This life is just not worth it. And I think a lot of veterans, at some point, 
if not close to that, come to the point where of what's the point? Right. What am I doing? Like, what, why? What am I gonna? Why do I have to deal with this mm-hmm. for the rest of my life? Um, and part of what restart does is it says you can get back to having a full and fulfilling life. You can have kids. You can have a family. You can have a job. It might not be what you dreamed, but it's something. And I think that that is much deeper if you think about what Restart is and what it's for than, oh, it's just making some stuff for disabled people. I think that that's sort of the differentiation I would make. Yeah. That's perfect, Dave. Thank you. And and if we're looking at, you know, business-wise, it's a terrible business model. (laughs) <laughs> it's not supposed to be it's not supposed to be right, a great yeah. model, we're not we're not here to make money it, we're here yeah. to as david said at the end of the day i don't care if if what we make is applicable from our people i care if it changed your life yeah if it's applicable applicable from our people amazing i can change more lives but right now all i care about is you yeah all right i think i think that's a good place to on that note to to let it sink in with people uh dr david leitner Buzz Hochstein. Uh, restart. Everybody, check it out. Thank you both so much for joining us. I'm Aaron Porras. I'm Connor Rifkin. And for more actually serious topics, remember again to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast on Audioversity, YouTube at Aaron Porras, and all major podcasting platforms and social media. We, we love, love you. you. Yeah. See you next time. See you uh, next time. We don't know you, but. <laughs> yeah, but we do. We do love you. Um, <laughs> actually, serious. Amazing conversations from Israel, all topics considered, with Aaron Porras and Hannah Rifkin. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity. Call